Hello, and welcome to the Webtoon Room. I'm Will. And I'm Crudy. And today, we're here to talk about the spicy Sub-Zero Season 1 finale that just happened. I am excited for this one. This has been a juicy season, Will. There's a lot to talk about today. There's a lot we want to get into. So let's get right into it. So, Curdy, you've been reading Sub-Zero week by week for a long time now, oh, and it's gosh. finally come to its season end. How are you feeling? Man, it's it's been such a mixture of proud, like I feel proud to have weirdly grown with the story up to this point, and it is so cool to see the story evolve to what it is now, and there's so many moments that, I mean, we'll talk about them, and I'm really excited to get into them, but there's so many moments that all of us readers have just been waiting for so long and they've been so slow burn and it's just been so juicy and so worth it and it's like ah the impact perfectly lands there's so many like that i'm really excited to get into it but we should talk about this juicy season finale that has just dropped let's start with the biggest and juiciest plot point the fact that rizo now knows that clove cannot shift yeah, the cat is out of the bag at this point, which is kind of scary because we know how much political influence Rizo has in the court. And Reyna is no slouch either. She's learned everything she knows from him. And she is a general in the court too. So we saw her whispering into Rizo's ear at the end of the episode as she was waking up from being unconscious. And we look over and we see Clove and Cairo embracing. You know, they're relieved. Clove is okay. And... We're kind of left wondering, where is this going to go from here? Yeah, there's a lot we don't know about Rizo still. This is something we've been questioning the entire time through this entire season, is what are his intentions? And this clashes really nicely with the what will he do with this information? Yeah, coupled with the fact that we don't know exactly even what Reyna said to him, we can probably guess given that Clove revealed that she can't shift. So we know that she just learned that information. So it's obviously going to be top of mind in some way, right? Or rather specifically, Clove said, I'm not who you think I am, which, <sighs> Clove, it, it's just a really shady thing to say when we know she means what she means, but to a lot of other characters and to especially people like Reyna and Rizo who manipulate and who actively politic, it's... You're giving him too much, honey. You're giving him a little bit too much. Yeah, Rizo and Raina, to an extent, are the characters that are the kind of people that if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And Clove has given them two inches. She might be giving him a couple feet at this point. It's a lot, yeah. <laughs> we'll just have to see where Rizo and Raina take this and what direction they take this. I think you've described Arizo before as being lawful evil, and I think that's pretty accurate because he's a patriotic man. He is not looking to go against the state. It's what made him powerful. It's the seat of his influence. So it makes sense that he's doing things for the betterment of the country. And I think he genuinely believes that. He's genuinely patriotic. But on some level, I also think it's rooted in his ego 
he's patriotic and wants to do what's good for the country, but only as what he thinks is good for it and using measures that he approves of. Yeah, everything must be done in his way, or at least, the very least, in a way he benefits from and he's okay with. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, understandably, either don't like him or are really suspicious of his character, and I totally understand why, because, yeah, it's true, he's hella sus, like, we all know this. He he has his own motivations and his own power plays always in motion. But he is not the big bad. And I think you and I have talked about this. We would be really surprised if he was the big bad. And right now, the Jade Vipers are playing that role in the story. Yeah, this came as a little bit of a surprise. When I was reading through Sub-Zero, I thought Raizo was going to be the big bad in politics and his sort of rivalry for control with Cairo, but no, it looks more like Raizo is not actually aware of the Jade Vipers, or at least he's not familiar with them or tied together with them. We're still not 100% sure on that, but it seems to be that way so far. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be affiliated with them. They've got a separate agenda, and as we saw in the finale, it's hard to tell exactly what their true goal is, and we will get into that, but they had a mission to destroy the jail and ostensibly kill Clove along with it. We know that they've tried to assassinate her before. There's been an assassination attempt, so maybe she's still on the table, or rather she's more of an indirect goal at this point. There's something bigger at play, but it's still a little bit mysterious as to what their true motivation is, what their true goal is, and what is driving them as a group. That's true. We don't know their intentions, but it is clear that they have spies throughout the palace, and this is how they manage to carry out a bombing of this size. Mm -hmm. They've got eyes and ears in unexpected places, it seems, and they right now are a little bit of a shadow organization. We don't know how far their reach is, and we don't know who the head of this is, but they have very wide arms that reach into all of these different places, especially places that leave Clove and Cairo and their government vulnerable. We saw in some of the episodes leading up to the finale, these two shady characters that were clearly undercover Jade Viper members talking about the missing crates of explosives and planning, and we saw them carry that out in action kind of in the finale or in the episodes leading up to the finale. And their goal, I know, was to prevent, one, Faye from talking it was part successful, part unsuccessful, because Faye was able to share whatever she knew about the Jade Vipers. It unfortunately was not much, but they did succeed in preventing Faye from talking more. They ended up murdering her, assassinating her, I guess, and she died during that bombing attempt. The bombing attempt also caught Clove and Aaron and Norin and Karis, main characters, major characters, they were caught up in the bombing as well, and they were trapped and were struggling to get out of the jail. Yeah, as a result of that, as we discussed earlier, the secret gets out. Reyna learns Clove's inabilities to shift. Aaron gets seriously injured, and that's how the season ends for him. That's a little bit of a mystery. Yeah, so 
after the cat gets out of the bag, you know, Reyna goes one way with her group, and Clove is trying to save her group of men, save Aaron along with her, and she was able to access her powers to save everyone from the jail, which is really interesting, and we'll get into that later on what that might mean. Uh, but as a result of this, Aaron gets pushed back from the force of her powers, and he hits his head, and we see him at the end of the finale. His head is bleeding. We don't know if he is dead, is he alive, but he has hit his head, and he's definitely, at the very least, very injured. We'll have to see what happens in the next season. I know. It's full of intrigue. But, in the meantime, Clove is safe. Our girl Clove is doing alright. Cairo has found her, which I personally was really relieved to see the scene. I don't think I could have gone a whole hiatus if we hadn't gotten some kind of reunion between these two. But they're both relieved, and they're both okay. They just have to deal with the next nest of vipers that's come their way. Clove and Cairo have definitely come a long way. It's really heartening to see, especially from the beginning. These two did not start off on the smoothest foot. No, they did not. Their relationship definitely has a very rocky start. Yeah. Their first initial meeting is when Clove has just come from a two-week journey, and she asked to meet with Cairo, who is unfortunately bathing. So he's in kind of an embarrassing position, and he's like, I'm naked in a room full of strangers. Just great. And so he's already not in the best mood. <laughs> this doesn't help. And it also doesn't help that he wasn't super enthusiastic about the alliance in the first place. In fact, neither of them are. Clove agrees to the alliance because she is doing it for her people. She wants to end the bloodshed. She wants to help her people. She's sick of her people starving and going through these difficult times because of the war. And Cairo has the same goal, even though he's not happy that he has to marry someone he's never met, that he's being ordered to do it, I think is the thing that makes him the most unhappy. So he sort of resents her before even meeting her, and Clove definitely feels this in their interaction. They start off talking, but it quickly becomes thorny and barbed, and they don't end it off on the best note. A lot of this, too, comes from Cairo's inability to trust people easily, partially because of his time in the court with people like Rizo around. Yeah, Cairo has not had a lot of people in his life that he trusts and he can confide in who have his best interests at heart, so... I think he is automatically guarded of everyone coming in, especially this princess who he doesn't know, who is his enemy, and he really doesn't know what to make of her yet. So it makes sense that he's on guard, that he's not completely open to her, definitely not as open as she's prepared to be to him. And I think he starts to like her a little bit more. He, he's been attracted to her from the beginning. He says, you're far more attractive than they give you credit for, but I think he starts to like her more as a person when he takes time to understand her and when he gets to meet with her more and get to know her a little better. Yeah, and their relationship definitely progresses to a point where they start working together as a team. They start to tackle problems as a unit. 
Yeah, it's funny because they get on the same page fairly quickly. In terms of having the larger goal of making the alliance work, or at least giving the outward appearance of the alliance working. Like when Clove barges in to the meeting with the generals, and Cairo comes in later, and he sort of talks very sweetly to her, and he makes himself look very infatuated with her, when we know that that's not where they're really at yet, and they continue to put on these little shows, these little displays of affection, especially, you know, after their wedding, for example, they display that to their people. And it's all a little bit of an act to um, get this alliance to work. So that's where their first endeavors, their first strides as two teammates, two partners begins. They're both trying to make the alliance work and they make mistakes. They misunderstand each other frequently or they're not always kind to each other or they... They still don't fully trust each other yet, but they know that they have the same goal. And through this process, they become closer and more comfortable with each other. And they understand that they are partners to each other in this regard. Yeah. And part of the reason why they become close is because both Cairo and Clove are a bit lonely. Cairo more so than Clove, because Clove does have Norin and Aaron and Zephyr to fall back on. Cairo doesn't really have anybody. Karis does look out for him and his best interests, but he doesn't really go to her as a shoulder to lean on. At least that we've seen. And you're definitely right in that Clove has some support, or at least friendly faces that she can turn to. Uh, Cairo has one. But neither of them, even with as many friendly faces as they have, neither of them has someone to turn to that knows exactly what the other is going through, that can empathize in that unique way. I think no matter how friendly a face Aaron or Nurin or Zephyr is for Clove, none of them can really support her or empathize with her with everything that she's going through and experiencing. And that's something that Clove even talks about when she mentions why she's drawn to Cairo and why he gives her comfort and support. He understands the dragon side of her and is able to help that side of her more than anyone else. And that's a big reason that she really leans on him as well. And I think that's a mark of especially when they get close in their relationship is when Cairo confirms with Clove and he figures out finally that Clove can't shift. And I think that was such a big turning point for them because up until that point, Cairo has been getting closer to Clove, and she's been getting closer to him, and they've been liking each other and trusting each other more, but there was still something in the way that was niggling at Cairo, just in the back of his mind. It was just bothering him that she was hiding something, and Cairo's the kind of man, like, we know he's guarded. He's been backstabbed and betrayed before, and we know that he's been in a court with Rizo, who is regularly manipulating him and is just very good at that. So... Something like that we know is especially going to bother Cairo. And having that out in the open and her sharing that vulnerability and him understanding what her fear is and why she was hiding it, he understood it even before that and he understood that there must be a reason why she was hiding something. But having that out in the open was a big step for them to get closer and to really solidify their partnership together. Yeah. It helped move their relationship from strictly business to one where they care and support each other. Absolutely. 
Clove knows that she can lean on Cairo and Cairo is going to be there for her to support her. And I think it took a big load off of Clove's shoulders that she's able to share that secret with somebody who might actually be able to help her and help her do something about it. It's like what Clove says when Aaron comes to visit her on the night before her wedding. She doesn't love Cairo yet, but she feels drawn to him. And moreover, she feels like she can share this side of her with him that no one has understood before. And in fact, she's become so comfortable with Cairo at that point that even if she may be a little bit awkward in her conscious actions and he may be a little bit awkward in his, they're still getting to know each other after all. The timeline of the webtoon, it's really only been like barely a couple weeks, so they're still really new to each other. But she's become so comfortable that at night, on their wedding night, she reaches out to him when she's sleeping and she kind of draws him close. He's become this source of comfort for her. And I think that shows just how starved or how desiring both of them are of interpersonal closeness, of comfort and company. Yeah, it's funny. Both of these characters, as a bit of a side note, either are lacking mother figures in their lives or feel like they weren't there for them. Mm-hmm. They, they're really isolated in so many ways, or they're just cut off from all of these familial ties, these typical relationships that provide structure and stability and secure attachment, and neither of them have really had that. You're absolutely right. And I think that's a big reason why, besides just their physical attraction, they kind of start to become a home for each other. And Cairo kind of solidifies it in episode 68, when after they get married, he's talking to her in their bedroom and saying, I know it hasn't sunk in yet, but from here on out, the two of us are a team. Clove and Cairo have up until this point been working with each other as partners and getting to know each other as people, and we know that they have been attracted and that they're interested in each other, but... After their wedding is really when the feelings and the emotions start showing up more. And they've been putting up a show and putting up appearances of being a royal couple in love or having a whirlwind, a whirlwind romance. But it's interesting because they're coming at a point where these pretend feelings are turning a little bit real and it's overwhelming for both of them to deal with. They're both a little awkward about how they go about it. Yeah, they're definitely awkward about it. There are times where they give each other space and they don't really communicate and they just get frustrated at each other. There are times where they need the other person close and they're not there. It's definitely a source of tension for the two of them. These two are a master class in like missed wires it's you're absolutely right it's really funny because i think both of them are so in their head with how they're experiencing their feelings cairo we can use this as an example here where he gives clove so much space for a whole month that he doesn't talk to her he doesn't interact with her he doesn't spend the night with her nothing and everyone around them clocks this is so weird and <laughs> It's a little bit of an overreaction. It's a lot of bit of an overreaction. 
But I think for Cairo, when he's doing this, I don't know about you can let me know your take. But to me, I think Cairo is very afraid of rejection. And he's very keenly aware, even from the beginning, he's been keenly aware that there's been something going on with Clove and Headband. Aaron, Aaron, uh, <laughs> is using his actual name. So he knows that there's been something there. And I don't necessarily think that there's anything there now. Cairo knows that a love triangle isn't what's happening. That's not what's on his mind. But he is keenly aware that Clove has not chosen him. Clove has not chosen to marry Cairo, the person. She has chosen this marriage because of her people, because she feels compassion and love for her people. And it's a different kind of choice because their relationship is divided into these two parts, right? Their relationship as co-rulers, this political alliance, and their actual romantic relationship. And that's what he is insecure about. And that's what he's questioning. And that's what he's afraid of rejection is putting himself out there and his feelings for her and then that not being reciprocated. So I think that's why he took so much time away. That's why I give her so much space is because of all of that swirl of emotion. Yeah, he definitely gave her a bit too much space, and I agree. He is definitely a little bit insecure about it. This is new territory for Cairo. It totally is. And when it came to being too forward or giving too much space, I think Cairo erred on the side of giving too much space, which is not the bad move. I think it was probably the better move because Clove, we know from her experience of this too she likes him but she's also overwhelmed with how quickly she's gotten close to him and how much she likes him because it's really quick it's really soon it feels really soon for her if he had to pick one of those options i think he probably went with the smarter option but he still did give her too much room she wanted him there she was missing him and i think she was happier when she was spending time with him their distance apart though does make it all the sweeter when they do get together again, and they get to share some really, really intimate moments. Mm -hmm. What do you think was a game changer for them when it came to this part of their relationship? I think it is the time apart they had from one another. Because even though Cairo gave way too much space, both Cairo and Clove used this space to think, to reflect, and to ponder a little bit about the two of them together. Yeah. And I also think space, what it probably did for them was it amplified a sense of longing. Like it gave more clarity, which I think you just were getting at too. It gave more clarity about how they actually feel about the other person. Cairo says even when he meets up with Clove after all this time that he thought he was giving her space, but he really was not supporting her when she probably needed him. I like the way that he handled that. He recognized what he did, and he knows that he can't necessarily take back that time, but he wants to try and make amends for it or try and be there for her now. Yeah, they pledge to be more open with each other from here on. It's nice because I think this is more of a shift into increased vulnerability with each other and emotional intimacy. You can really see that change with them. And Cairo... He kisses her too. He makes a move. And he makes a move because of that closeness. And she doesn't pull away. She kisses him back. She's there. But she still 
hesitant and she kind of is pulling away a little after. And this is because Clove has some hesitations around not being understood. She has some other reservations in other places, but it doesn't have to do with her feelings for Cairo. But after a couple of times of this happening, you know, where she's pulling back a little bit or she's not being as receptive to some of his advances or some of his kisses or, you know, whatever, he starts to feel really rejected by her and it really hurts him because he really likes her and he's put himself out there and she hasn't communicated with him the why, why she's pulling back or why she's not being as receptive. And they have this epic kind of showdown almost, this this reckoning of of a conversation. And this is why communication, communication, and communication is very important. <laughs> yes. Clove definitely wants to take her time with things because of how overwhelmed she was feeling. Yeah, she likes Cairo and she wants to be with him, but it was progressing so much faster than she ever expected it would. She's only known this guy for such a short time, but she already feels the sense of closeness to him. And the other part of this is that Clove is not ready to have a child yet. She doesn't feel safe or comfortable having a child that she is not confident that she can take care of with all the dangers that in this world that they're experiencing that are on the horizon. And I think some of the physical intimacy, some of the, you know, kissing, anything like that, she was feeling a little bit apprehensive of, or at least a little weird about engaging in with Cairo, not because she doesn't enjoy it, not because she doesn't want it, but because she hadn't communicated that to him yet. And once she did, when she told him that, he understood and he was able to understand why she'd been pulling back and why she had, you know, not been reciprocating. And they're able to be much more on the same page, which leads to finally like this epic scene where Clove and Cairo are kissing. They're making out. They're fully on the same page with each other and they're both super into each other and finally expressing that to each other like together they're both in it together and it's such a wonderful scene because their relationship has been very much a slow burn not in the timeline of the webtoon but over the course of the season it's been building up slowly and it's had all of these different elements and finally they're both expressing this care and this interest in each other there's this moment as they're both laying down to sleep when Cairo says all of these different people on the court have opinions on when we should have a child. I'm tired of other people having opinions on what goes on in our bedroom. I care about you. And it was such a lovely moment where Clove felt the genuine care and consideration from him. She returns it. She says, I care about you too. And they both feel that from each other. It's so wonderful. And I'm so happy that they both get to feel this love from each other. And to have this warmth. And as a result of this, by the, the, by the time we reach the finale, we've got a couple who is solidly in each other's corner, who love each other, even though it's not really been verbally expressed, and who are on the same page with their feelings and their relationship and where they want it to go. Cairo and Clove aren't the only ship in this webtoon. Later in the season, we get Norin and Karis and their wonderful now sailing ship. 
I think these guys sail faster than Clove and Cairo. It's it is really funny because their attraction relationship is a little more dynamic and explosive than Clove and Cairo, who you know tend to simmer a little more. And they have a few key moments throughout season one, like "Hey, ugly" early on, <laughs> which definitely was a hint to something more later on. But their actual relationship starts sailing around episode 65, and they have this wonderful conversation. Nuren is attracted to Karis for her passion, her talent, and her physical beauty as well. But it's these moments of vulnerability that these two share that draw him to her. He even stays back. It's not clear whether he does it strictly for her, but he stays back for other reasons. And it ends up continuing their association together. And these two end up spending time. They go on midnight walks and who knows what else. It's not so secret, though. They get called out by Cairo. He questions why they have to walk the same way. I know. It's hilarious. It's totally the sec- like not-so-secret secret thing that everyone knows is happening. It's <laughs> I don't know if Karis' intention was to keep it a secret, but definitely Nurin wants to, or at least keep it a little more under wraps, and everyone kind of already knows. Definitely the soldiers that uh, Nurin manages or works with, even if Cairo and Clove are a little more blind to it. Maybe Clove more so than Cairo. I feel like he has an inkling of what's going on. Yeah. Going back to the relationship a little bit, there's this tension between the two of them because it's not really clear if this is just one of Karis's fun flings or if this is something she's a little more serious about. Yeah, she does mention her experience with suitors in episode 65 and she expresses interest in Nurin kind of after that. And I think you're right where it's a little bit ambiguous. We're not sure where Kara stands. We know that she's driving this ship. She wants to spend time with Noren. She's attracted to him. She's interested in him. But we don't know where her mind is regarding where it's going. And I think that's probably a question that Noren has too. Yeah, he's not entirely sure either. Their ship can feel a little bit like Karis is dragging the whole thing and that Noren is just in for the ride. But I think he's a little bit more active than that. I agree. I think Nurin is genuinely attracted to her and interested in Karis. And I think he, even though she's a little unclear, I think he would be in it for the long haul. Like, he is a serious kind of guy. He is very duty and honor bound. And he is, he's a soldier in that regard, you know? And so when it comes to pursuing an attraction, when it comes to pursuing a relationship with Karis, I think he would be more long-term minded. As of this point, I think he is still, he's definitely interested in her, but he has apprehensions because I think he knows how it would come off where he stays back. He makes this big deal of following duty and being honorable and all of those things like those mean a lot to him and I think he knows how it would look and how it would come off if he gets with Karis and you know people would probably just say oh he stayed back for Karis like he had something else in mind he wasn't actually loyal to the throne he wasn't loyal to Clove he wasn't loyal to Cairo and he definitely is he he mentions to Karis I was serious when I said all this to your brother a character whose honor and duty and obligation is definitely in question, though, is Aaron. 
Oh, yeah. And Cairo calls him out on it. It's unclear if Aaron is acting selfishly or not. He could be bound by honor and his duties to the Cerulean Guard, or he could just be doing this all selfishly because of his one-sided attraction to Clove. Yeah, Aaron is an interesting case in this regard. I do genuinely believe he is a loyal soldier. He's proven that about himself, but he has this intense personal interest in Clove, right? And he stands really loyally beside her, but his judgment does become marred by that interest in that he almost becomes blinded by his loyalty. There's been occasions where Aaron has this protect-for-your-own-good instinct instead of actually listening and observing the situation more objectively like Nurin tends to do. We saw this in the beginning of the webtoon when he was interacting with Clove more closely when she was first arriving to the Crimson Palace, and we saw this kind of in the end, in the finale, when Clove was handling it, when she was handling the situation and she was trying to work with her dragon to save things, and Aaron went back for her instead of recognizing, okay, she's got this, I can move on and help someone else, but he stood beside her, and he ended up getting hurt in the process. So I think he's got good intentions in a lot of regards. It gets a bit muddied, and I think ultimately, though, because it gets muddied like that, his judgment suffers. Aaron also has questionable actions. He's a bit of a jerk sometimes, and it seems like a lot of that comes from his internal frustrations. I don't think he feels he can fully express himself, and so he is very thorny and prickly to be around at times. It's such a shame. You see a sharp contrast between him when he starts the webtoon. He's more playful, he's joking, he's teasing, he's open, and right now at this point in the story, you're totally right. He's so tightly wound up by these emotions that he can't resolve, that he has to keep inside that he just becomes so raw and he lashes out at people, even Clove, the person that he desperately wants to protect, that he cares about. It affects his demeanor with other people, and it doesn't put him in the best stead. Aaron is also open to suggestion, which Rizo and Reyna definitely take advantage of. There's a rather hilarious scene where Aaron gets brought to a tea house at Rizo's invitation, and he's dressed up a girl to flirt with and you know, do more with Aaron. Yeah, quote-unquote tea house. Tea house, yes. But she looks like Clove, and that's the whole point. Yeah, it's a classic move from Rizo. It's just, you know, he's taking advantage of Aaron when he is vulnerable and open to suggestion, as you said. And Aaron, he does still remain loyal. He can still see through that, despite, you know, whatever other troubles he's going through. But it does show that Rizo and Reyna aren't above these kinds of manipulations and these influences, and it's probably how they've made other similar alliances or other similar moves in the past to gain that influence in court. It's not hard to see how Rizo could have manipulated things in the aftermath of Cairo's older brother's death, especially with the Empress's slow decline and depression afterwards how he could have built so much influence and power at the court. And it's one of the reasons why Cairo is not only so lonely, but also is a very shrewd, sharp individual. He's very perceptive to the small things that happen around court. He knows when someone's watching him. 
It's how he survived in the palace, and it's how Karis has survived too. He's the perfect person to have by her side as Clove is figuring out all of the dragon stuff because she knows that her secret is safe with him. And it's a big secret to hold that the blue dragon that Clove can't shift because in this world, being able to shift is not only an outward sign of power, it also demands respect from onlookers and from the court. And you get the sense if she could shift and she did shift, she'd be getting a lot more acknowledgement and respect from, I think, every other character in this webtoon. Yeah, she's looked down upon a little bit because of that, and we see how the Crimson Court talks about her. But the other thing that makes the secret so important is that it's a sign of legitimacy, and that's kind of what Kyra was worried about in the beginning. And it might be what happens in season two. That might be a question that comes up now that the cat is out of the bag with that secret. Yeah, we get bits of information through season one about how the dragon powers work and how being a vessel works. But there's still a lot of things that are mysteries for us. Mm -hmm. We do know that part of Red, the Crimson Dragon, is in Clove because that's how he was able to save her. And because of that, she's unable to shift. And we also know that Clove was blocked or prevented from accessing her dragon, just as her dragon was also prevented from her. And that kind of brings the question, what external force is blocking and preventing her powers from coming to the surface? Yeah, and some of it might be her own mental block. This is what we're led to believe in the earlier parts of the story. Because of Clove's lack of self-confidence, she can't connect with the dragon. That's the implication we get early on. And it kind of continues on. And there are some alternative theories for what's going on. Mm-hmm. There's a very popular theory that Clove's mother's tea blend is the agent that is suppressing her powers. And it would be it'd be a curious theory if that were the case. You know, my question would then be who started giving her the tea? When did that originate? How did that happen? There's also a theory, maybe it's more related to her relationship with Cairo, because we do know that being around Cairo and even just kind of sleeping around him, that proximity that Clove mentions, it does affect her dreams when she's able to enter that dream spiritual space with her dragon. So who knows what it could be and what it could be connected to, but there's a lot of different theories out there. I think a lot more will come about with that in season two. What do you think we'll see in the coming season, Will? We're definitely going to see Rizo use his newly found information whether for personal gain or not we'll have to see i think we're still looking for who is the big bad of sub-zero not to say that there has to be a singular villain but this seems to be the kind of story that would lend itself to have one yeah i definitely am interested in seeing how Ryzo will use this information because we've seen him be manipulative and make power plays in many different ways and using different tactics. So I'm curious to see how he'll approach this, because he is definitely very smart and strategic and very shrewd in how he plays people and how he plays the court. I'm also curious about Reyna, because she's taken a little bit of a backseat in season one, and she's certainly shady and manipulative and very influential as well. She's a general at court, despite being so young. But I'd be curious to see what happens with her. Is there redemption for Reyna? Is there going to be an arc where things change for her? Something that's been posited that 
you know, has been hinted at in some suggestive language in the webtoon, and also generally the fandom is kind of aware of this, is a potential ship between Aaron and Reyna. I personally think that they have a lot of growth to do individually before they get to any point of approaching a ship, but that's something that could happen down the line. We shall see. In terms of the big bad, the Jade Vipers are certainly a big mystery going into season two. We don't know who they are or what their MO is, and they're still very much at large, so they're going to be a force that Clove and Cairo deal with in season two. It's definitely going to be interesting to see them have to juggle all of these different things on top of having to deal with Clove still trying to figure out how to shift and access more of her dragon powers. I know, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to manage. Something I've also wondered about, and this is maybe just like my personal desire to see this, will Clove and Cairo also visit the Azure Islands at some point as well? That would be cool to see. It's been hinted at earlier in the season when Clove's uncle invites them, but that would be cool to see, and especially to see them in a different environment, in a different dynamic. Yeah. There are a lot of good things to look forward to in season two. There were a lot of good things that happened in season one. I think we're both on for this dragon of a ride. <laughs> we are both definitely on this choo-choo train. Thank you so much, you guys, for joining us for our season one review recap of Sub-Zero. This is one of my personal favorite webtoons to read, and I'm so glad we got the chance to talk about it today. Clove and Cairo are so much fun to analyze. Yeah, they're a great couple for sure, and I think I speak for everyone. We're very excited to see where they go. Be sure to follow the author, Junper, on all the socials. She's great, and I'm sure we'll hear more about what is to come for the next season. Yes. And if you want to follow us as well, you can check us out at The Webtoon Room on Instagram and Twitter. Follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you're there, give us a five-star review while you're at it. We love talking about webtoons, so if you have anything you want to share or talk about, feel free to message us at any of these places. We look forward to seeing you guys next week with a new episode. See you guys then. Bye. Bye.